0: The following podcast is part of the underdog sports podcast network for advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at real the underdog. What's going on, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Atlantic files. The number one podcast on the number one division in the NBA brought to you by the underdog sports podcast network. As always, joined by your host, myself, Alex Fishbein. It will only be me this week, as our other two co-hosts. Um, just they, they need a week off. They need to recoup. They need to regenerate. You know what I mean? They need to get everything back under their feet before we kick off the season. Because the season is going to be a busy one. It's a busy time of year where... We're all watching football. We're working on uh, different football articles and things like that in terms of Dennis and I. And then fantasy football is in mid-swing, so you're trying to research all the waiver wire additions you can get. And then on top of that, there's playoff baseball to watch. On top of that, NHL has started. On top of that, NBA coming very soon in... uh, Actually, it's less than a week now. We got less than a week. The 24th, it's coming soon, coming fast. So, with that being said, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe below. Like the video, helps us out a lot. Comment for the the algorithm and everything. We'd like to know all of your guys' thoughts. If you have questions for our other episodes, just comment below, or you can hit our link tree, which is in our bio and pretty much every social media site and YouTube and everything. And we have a place for mailbag questions in there as well. So you can always ask us some questions that you might want answered on the show. Just let us know. Also, if you hit the bell below for notifications, it lets you know when we go live. Usually every Tuesday night. Might be doing a couple Wednesdays for the next few weeks just because of scheduling conflicts. But it'll be like Tuesday, Wednesday night most of the time around six thirty, seven p.m. Eastern. So without further ado... Let's get in to some news. James Harden. Finally, speaking to the media. He talked about like, oh, wanting to retire a sixer. And he talked about how the whole thing is a a marriage and he lost trust in Daryl Morey and that the the relationship can just never be repaired and so on and so forth. Well, I feel as though nobody actually believed it could be repaired. Let's be honest here. Nobody was going around thinking like, yeah, this will probably be good. It'll it'll, it'll be all right. It'll be fine. I don't think that's how any of this went. So first, I will play you the thing that he has here about the fans. So let me bring that up for you guys. That is right here from Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Let me bring that up right now. I
1: traded here, my hope to, yeah, um, just to, like, the fans, man, it's like, I uh, just appreciate the support and love, and, and you know, I mean, this is definitely it's a difficult time, but for me, it's just trusting, you know, uh, you know, people that you've known over a decade, um, and got traded here, my, my whole thing was I wanted to retire at Sixer, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to be here and retire at Sixer and front office didn't have that in their in their future plans. You know what I mean? So like it's literally out of my control. Um, it's something that I didn't I didn't want to happen in the system being in this position. But you know, I, I gotta make a a decision for, you know, my family. I understand this is a business. You know what I mean? So it's just as simple as that. You know what I mean? I, I I come here today and work work my butt off and um, do do the things necessary as a professional as as, as I would do and as I've been doing for 15 years. Yeah. It is.
0: The the best I can say about that is just like there's no way you came into this wanting to retire a Sixer. There's just, I just don't believe that straight off the bat. The, the whole strong arm play of saying that you're going to go to Houston and everything is right off the bat shows me that it's bullshit that you say, oh, I was going to retire a sixer and so on and so forth. Like, come on. We know like you don't have to to dress it up. We know that you weren't going to retire a Sixer. The moment you were traded to the Sixers, we knew you weren't going to retire a Sixer because you forced your way out of multiple different teams. Why would why would anybody believe that you actually wanted to retire a Sixer, and I will say it's pretty amazing to me that, according to BovadaSportsbook.com, James Harden is actually the third has the third highest odds in being the assists per game leader in the entire NBA, and that's despite the fact that we don't even know who he's going to be playing for, what, uh, like when he's even going to start playing. We 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 have no idea. Because we're still just kind of guessing on like when he's actually going to be playing, but that surprising fact aside, maybe it's a maybe it's a decent one to bet on. To be honest, because if he does say he does miss a few games, like it's the assist per game leader, so. If he goes to the Clippers, he's got a lot of guys he can dish it to. If he stays on the Sixers, he got a lot of of guys he can dish it to. There's a lot of teams that, I mean, he is a good passer. Let's just keep it at that. But anyway, someone who says, oh, I wanted to retire with this team after forcing their way out of two separate teams before then isn't going to then say, like, hey, you better sign me to more money because that other team over there that I used to be on said they'll give me a max. And then that team doesn't give you a max so then all of a sudden it's like oh i just feel so wronged this this relationship is just so terrible oh my god i just can't i don't know if i'll ever recover from this my trust is just broken or hear me out you don't know your worth in today's nba That could be the real fact. Now, if you can, I'm always a person of, hey, go get your money because you only have X amount of years to really get your bag and get the the biggest contract you can get for all those guys out there that, you know, it's life-changing money. But in this regard... You should also know what exactly you're worth because you can't just negotiate a giant max length max amount contract if you're nowhere even close to worth that. I mean, you have the Clippers turning down a trade just because Terrence Mann is included with two first round picks. If, if anybody said that James Harden could possibly be traded for two first-round picks and Terrence Mann at any other stage of his career, even when he forced his way out of Brooklyn, people would have been like, "That is insanely cheap. Whoever traded for him get, is getting a steal." Any other stage of his career, but now. The fact that the team that you're not even going to be playing for, like this team really has no uh, benefits of you staying on the team, and they're actively like, we'll do it for two first rounds and Terrence Mann, and that the Clippers are like, we'll do it for just the two first rounders, not even Terrence Mann. We don't want to give you Terrence Mann. If that's the whole trade argument right now, That's terrible. And you should understand that you are not worth much on the open market in the NBA. I mean, right off the bat, nobody wanted to give you the money that you wanted. You had to opt in to stay with the Sixers because nobody else wanted to give you that money anyway. So there's a lot of ego checks. And I've talked about this many times on here. There's a lot of ego checks here where it's like, yo, I don't know what else to tell you because at this rate it's either sit there and don't play or you're just gonna be have to be happy with wherever you go because no matter where he goes unless something happens or someone gets hurt or whatever you're most likely going somewhere for pennies on the dollar and my other thing is if if he's really choosing say the Clippers or let's just say he comes up with another team, if he's really choosing a team based on he like that he perceives his chances to be higher of getting a max contract somewhere else, I think he hasn't had a reality check yet, which is pretty sad in terms of like the reality check should be going on right now in terms of your value is at an all-time low. So, if you're really thinking, hey, if I get traded to the Clippers, well, the Clippers will extend me because I'm going to be with Kawhi, I'm going to be with Paul George, and we're going to form a big three, and we're going to be a championship team. The Clippers haven't haven't even extended Paul George. So, I don't understand why anyone would assume that if James Harden gets traded there, the Clippers are just all of a sudden going to say, all right, let's extend him too. Or, let's extend him first because I with how how long Paul George has been there, they're definitely not extending James Harden before Paul George. And even then in this deal, I think you might have to wait towards the offseason to do the extension anyway. But regardless of the fact, it's not happening. His next contract is not going to be anywhere close to max money unless whatever NBA GM that is, is just either desperate or stupid. That's the only way he's getting another giant contract after this year. And he doesn't seem to understand that. But let me let me play this other clip here. This talks about the relationship with uh, him and Daryl Morgan, whether he thinks it can be fixed.
1: At the front, you had a relationship for 10 years. Do you think this is something that can be repaired? I mean, could you no. look at it? It can't. And, and why... Why is it dead? Why do you, why do you think it you, you can't be like you, This is not even about this situation, this is life. Like when you lose trust in someone, you know what I mean? Uh, it's like a marriage. Like you lose trust in someone, it's like hot, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, it's pretty simple. Can you forget you want to move on from here at this point? Is your play going to really determine how and who gets involved? Do you what do you mean? Like playing games. To be able to move. I mean, I, like I said, I can control what I control. I'll take it one day at a time and focus on, you know, every day as a new day. So, um, you know, my plan is to play basketball, yes, for sure.
0: So, yeah, I mean, obviously his plan is to play basketball. We all know that. We know he, uh, like, it's pretty obvious that he wasn't trying to Um, just like never play again or anything like that he I should say I will give him the credit in terms of he's acting professional he's acting a lot better than he has when he forced his way out of the last two situations at the whole fat suit stuff and showing up out of shape or whatever it may be even Tyrese Maxey on JJ Reddick's podcast gave him a shout out and saying, like, hey, he's coaching up a lot of the younger players, those rookies and everything that he doesn't even know. And he, he won't be on the team to even see them pan out because obviously he's going to be gone at some point this year. And the only thing recently has been I mean, he hasn't shown up to practice the last couple of days, but he wasn't at, at most of the training camp. Um when they were over at Colorado state and he just didn't play in any preseason games, he probably won't. But with the fact that you can tell he's playing damage control because he's acting a completely different way this time around compared to when he wanted out of the last two teams. So he knows that he has this image about him. He knows for a fact that there is an aura about him that other teams are probably backing off because they're like, well, what happens if he forces out of our team? Which is a completely plausible question and understandable hang-up if that's the case. They are... They just need to like understand if he comes to their team then he has to give some sort of confidence to them that he won't just leave uh let's see we have some comments here um hannah welcome to the stream how is streaming it's it's good we enjoy it Stream every week with our latest episodes of our podcast. We're on Twitch, we're on YouTube, um, everywhere you get your podcast, audio platforms as well. So appreciate it. Thanks for thanks for checking out the show. Um, but anybody that asks if he's going to stay on their team if they make this trade is completely plausible to do so. I, I just, and the thing is. If I'm an if I'm an NBA GM, like if I'm the Clippers GM right now and I'm trying to add some pieces around Kawhi and Paul George, who we all know their injury history, it's not great. So I'm going to add an older James Harden, who albeit had a couple great performance in the playoffs, but ultimately in the biggest moments came up very short and was essentially invisible. I'm already a little like, I don't know if I want to trade all that much. But then if you add on to that and you tell me, oh, he's forced his way out of teams the last, this would now technically be the third time in like three, four years, causing drama to start the season and causing a lot of stuff like to just create a distraction for everybody. I don't want to trade for that. And if I, if I have to, I'm not going to give anything close to something that's legitimately worth like any sort of top player. So it's just all a shit show. And James Harden can act all professional as much as he wants but it's just not going to translate to him really increasing his value and at this rate i don't even know I, i just don't even know when he'll be traded i i talked about before like he'll definitely still be on the team when the season starts and i do still think that obviously with the season starting in less than a week that's not really much of a hot take but i just at this rate like i don't even know if it's going to be within the first couple weeks of the season it might be actually until the legitimate trade deadline which i didn't think it was going to really reach that far but now i just don't see <laughs> i don't see anything getting done really that quickly Um, but anyway, let's, let's just move on here from away from James Harden. We've, we've talked about James Harden so many times on this podcast. So, uh, at this rate, I just hope something finally happens. So let's bring up another guy that we've actually talked about a lot on this podcast too. Ben Simmons. He hasn't looked terrible in the preseason. Could I have probably, like, said that some sort of way, a uh, little more complimentary instead of kind of like a backhanded compliment? Sure, but that's as much as I'm going to go with. Uh, Bavada actually has a special, um, it's called a requested special bet here. You can actually, at, for plus 9,000 odds, you can bet that Anthony Davis and Ben Simmons both to make An NBA All-Defensive First Team. Now, that's a bold, and I mean bold, bet. Because, A, we don't know what kind of minutes that Ben Simmons is going to play. We don't know, especially with Anthony Davis, too. I mean, he... Anthony Davis has the skill, don't get me wrong. And I believe he's already been on a all-defensive first team. Um, I know he's four-time all-defensive. I believe that is all-defensive first teams all four times, but I'm not positive on that. Uh, I wish it showed it in that little um, accomplishments box on Basketball Reference. But, I yeah, that, that's just a bold bet, if you ask me our guy Mario he says James Harden first team all quitting yeah <laughs> by the way I like the new uh the new logo man that's a nice new logo everyone go check out NBA a la chilena our 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 guy down there Chile he's doing great things with his podcast if you if you speak Spanish I definitely encourage you to go check out his show but yeah James Harden definitely first team all quitting that's that's a thousand percent true. Um, But let me play you this clip here. Ben Simmons uh, was apparently chirping at one of the rookies in the preseason game against the Sixers the other night. And Patrick Beverly got ejected uh for going back at ben simmons so let me play this clip here from patrick beverly's podcast on barstool make sure you check them out as well i mean you don't need me to tell you that a lot of you probably already know it's a thing so let me play that here for you i think gets me more fired up than seeing my buddy get kicked out of a preseason game
1: (laughs) can you explain to me exactly what happened between you and ben simmons let's get right into it first off ben simmons is a hell of a talent it's good seeing him back out there he looked strong. He impacted the game yesterday. So when it comes to basketball, I don't have a problem with it. But when it comes to, like, he was chirping at one of our rookies. Petrus F. Like, come on. Philip with an F. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you chirping at that guy. You know, you foul him hard as fuck. I'm talking to you all gang. You ain't saying nothing. Tobias cooking your ass. You really ain't saying nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got eight turnovers. Punching down, kind of. Yeah, like our, our rookie. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, you don't get no... Don't talk to me. I've been talking to you all game anyway. Talk to me. You were talking to him the entire I mean, game yeah. at the free throw line. You were you he were... come through the line and hit him like you know his swag be too high. What you do you mean your swag's too high? Is that a thing? Yeah, sometimes guys be swag too high. You know what I'm saying for like not done a lot, but yeah, I just, that's what I don't like.
0: And I gotta say, the moment that Pat Bev said that his swag is too high, I think is the perfect way to explain Ben Simmons and why a lot of people don't like him. He walks around as if like he's accomplished everything there is in the NBA. And he did that even before his whole meltdown happened. And it was like, you still can't shoot. You can't shoot threes. You can barely shoot mid-range. A lot of team, the good teams know how to stop you, as shown by all of the playoff, losses to say the the boston celtics and the atlanta hawks and all of them the defense always was up there don't get me wrong but the offense always needed work to make him a complete player now he made some all-star games he got his rookie of the year he was a steel leader in 2019 2020 also made all nba in that year two-time all-defensive team runner-up in Defensive Player of the Year to Rudy Gobert. He's done some things. He has some accomplishments. But to be, as Pat Bev said, swag too high, while you haven't even reached a conference finals, you haven't sniffed an MVP, you've gotten close to that Defensive Player of the Year, don't get me wrong, but you have failed to improve from the first few years in your time in the league and not just fail to improve, but you regressed big time. We found that you were mentally weak and in professional sports, any kind of sign of mental weakness is just like the ultimate weapon against you for your opponents, for the opposing fans, everybody. Everybody catches on to that, especially Philly fans. Say so thinks I'm over here talking to her. But especially Philly fans, they can smell mental weakness from miles away. We saw it with uh, uh, in the Phillies postseason run right now. All the players talking about, you know, the, I think it was the guy from the Braves who talked about how fans should just be quiet. The pitcher from the Diamondbacks who said like, oh, I doubt that the fans can be as loud as the the other game that he was at. The, the guy from the Braves who said like attaboy Harper and then everyone started tormenting him and he started making faces and stuff back and was really upset with the fans. They know. Trust me, I'm amongst them. They know if you're mentally weak. And that is something that is always going to affect you as a player. And Patrick Beverly, you can say what you want about him as a player. You can say, like, oh, he doesn't. He hasn't done anything either. He only puts up, like, seven points a game. Like, yeah, sure, you can say all that. But he still finds a way to make himself useful enough that all of these NBA teams keep giving him some sort of contract and on top of that he knows what players are mentally weak and what players aren't he knows the guys that he can get under their skin and affect their play he knows the types of things he can do say whatever to do exactly what he wants with their mental aspect of the game and he's sitting there saying, calling call Ben Simmons out pretty much, and he's doing it in a respectful way, to be honest, but saying, "Yo, you're over there talking to a rookie that came over from Europe. You're chirping him as if that's some sort of accomplishment," whereas he's been talking trash to him the whole time, but won't even won't say anything, back won't look at him, won't do anything. I, I wanted to be a little supportive and be like, hey, he's improving. He looks like uh, an actual basketball player for a little bit. But then that, and I'm like, ah, he's still a bitch. I don't know. I I just can't see it any other way. I really don't. I can't see it any other way. I don't know. But either way, um, Ben Simmons is just a funny individual I guess I'll say I just don't I, I don't understand really what has gone on with that whole situation um and I I do hope he does find a way to be back to um like the the defensive player that he was and the type of potential that he once had, I do hope that comes back. I mean, right now on Bavada, I just talked about the special they had, but for just straight up defensive Player of the Year, he's down near like the middle of the pack at plus eight thousand. If I, you know, I, I wouldn't be mad at anybody who decided to put like a few bucks down on that type of bet just to see what happens and if he can return to the defensive level that he once was i don't think that's a terrible way to to spend five bucks or ten bucks or whatever it may be Would i bet the house on it absolutely not but i would throw a couple bucks down see how see where it takes me you know um Other guys ahead of him, I mean, obviously, like Jaron Jackson, Evan Mobley's pretty high up there, Giannis, Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, Wemba Nyama's actually pretty high up there, which is pretty insane for a rookie, but we can get to him in a little bit. So let me bring up our next topic here. The NBA GM and executive poll results, survey results, whatever you want to call it, we touched on this a little bit last week. We talked about the outcomes for like the NBA champion and who would win the East and the West. Uh, as we said last week, the two teams tied at the top that got the most votes from the NBA GMs are the Celtics and the Nuggets at 33% of the vote. Then you got the Bucks, then the Suns, then the Clippers. And last year, the leading vote-getter was the Bucs with 43%. So let's get past that. Let's see. They think... Nikola Jokic will win his third MVP. Jokic getting 43% of the vote uh, as the number one vote getter. Giannis 20% at second. Jason Tatum 13% at third. And Luka Doncic got 10% at fourth. And other players receiving some votes were Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid, and Gilgis Alexander. I wouldn't be like, super surprised or anything, and I wouldn't even be mad at it if Jokic did end up winning his third MVP. I mean, as of right now, he should be the de facto best player in the planet. I mean, I think that 99% of people agree with that, except for ESPN's stupid-ass player rankings, because those are always made just to get people to talk about it, and they're not actually made by smart basketball minds that actually know what they're talking about they put Giannis as the number one player this season which isn't and and don't come after me Giannis fans but that isn't remotely true he's not the best player in the league we all know it's Jokic and it's not close it really isn't I'm even a Joel Embiid stan and it's not close It's just for the the drama, just for people to get commenting and up their algorithms. It's literally all it is for the attention. I agree, for the most part, with the NBA GMs here. I wouldn't put Giannis in second, though, in terms of, like, if I had to rank who I think would win, I would put Jokic still up there at number one. But after that, I would put Gilgis Alexander at number two because I think the Thunder are going to be very, very good this year, especially with Chet returning. And Gildas Alexander is steadily climbed as, you know, in the ultimate NBA ranks. And I think that he will be up there with the best this season. He was already in a little bit of the MVP talks last season, but the Thunder just didn't finish with a good enough record to really put him like up there in that that top echelon of MVP ranks. So I think this year with the improved record and everything that he will be in the MVP conversation. And then I would put Jason Tatum, keep him at third. I would then put I then put Joel Embiid at fourth, Luka at fifth, and then Giannis down at sixth. And I only say that because bringing Dame in, I think severely limits Giannis's MVP chances because say this team does get a lot better I would say that it's mainly due to Damian Lillard rather than solely due to Giannis now if you say Dame might be up there I could might be able to see a scene how he does maybe uh the next question here for those who aren't on YouTube I'm also I'm sharing it on the screen here for YouTube for our YouTube uh Viewers out there and, and Twitch and everybody and Facebook. Um, if you were starting a franchise today and could side any player in the NBA, who would it be? Number one vote getter, again, Nikola Jokic with 33%. Number two, Victor Wembanyama with 23%. Then Giannis with 13%. Luca with 10%. Anthony Edwards with 7%. Last year, Giannis got 55% of the vote. A lot of guys... It kind of surprises me, honestly, that last year they put Giannis up there with 55% of the vote, especially because Jokic was just coming off of his back-to-back MVPs. So it it does surprise me that Giannis would receive so much of the vote at that point in time. Uh, I didn't really, I don't know if I really thought of that at the time, but it, it, it surprises me more now. And according to Vavada for regular season MVP, top three odds are Jokic at plus 425, Doncic at plus 550, and then Giannis at plus 600. So Giannis is up there for MVP voting. For those who might want to throw a little bit of money on there, I mean, he is up there in the voting odds. After them, then it's Embiid, Tatum, Anthony Edwards, And Gilgis Alexander, I don't know. I might throw some money on that. At plus 1,600, I might throw a little bit. I kind of like it. I kind of like the odds. I'm not going to lie. But anyway, um, also receiving votes for the, uh, if you're starting a franchise today, were Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Gilgis Alexander, and Jason Tatum. So which player forces opposing coaches to make the most adjustments? Last year. Top vote-getter Stephen Curry with 52%. This year, top vote-getter Stephen Curry again with 40%. Then you got Jokic at 33, Antetokounmpo at 13, Doncic at 10, and Joel Embiid at 3. I don't even think Joel Embiid was on the list last season, so props to him for getting some more votes and increasing his um, worth in the eyes of other NBA GMs but Steph Curry I mean I think he I think you have to put him up there as the number one guy I mean he revolutionized the way we even think about shooting threes the screens he runs off of all the time the way he has really worked in that Golden State system and that Golden State offense and how he has pretty much created the system himself because if there is no Steph Curry There is no Golden State system. I truly believe, like the moment Steph Curry retires, if Steve Curry and everybody's still there, it's going to be a completely different offense because you need somebody as generational as Steph Curry to run an offense like that and actually be successful. So I think Steph Curry being up there at the top is, I think it's spot on if you ask me. So good on you, NBA GMs. I see you. Which player is most likely to have a breakout season in 2023-2024? One-for-one vote-getter is Anthony Edwards at 23%. Then you got Cade Cunningham at 20%, Franz Wagner at 13%, Paolo Banquero at 7%, tied with Tyrese Maxey at 7%. Also receiving votes were Desmond Bain, Mikal Bridges, Tyrese Halliburton, Chet Holmgren, Kyrie Irving. Jaden McDaniels, Evan Mobley, Alperin Sengun, and Zion Williamson. Last year, Evan Mobley was the leading vote-getter at 21%. I don't know who voted Kyrie Williams. Kyrie Williams, wow. Kyrie Irving. How can you break out when you're already a superstar player? That makes no sense at all. That had to have been Dallas's GM because I don't know who would really say he's going to quote-unquote breakout. That's like when you have a star player that like might have had a down year last year, and then the star player returns to how he's supposed to play, and it's like, oh, he should be most improved. No, this is what is expected out of him. Kyrie Irving's expected to be really fucking good. So being a breakout, that doesn't make any sense. Tyrese Maxey's expected to be good, but if you're saying he's going to break out, that means he's going to break out into star level. Kyrie Irving's already up at star level there him breaking out isn't exactly like there's nowhere him for him to break out to he's already up there you're not breaking out into anything I like Anthony Edwards a lot though I I agree with this I think Anthony Edwards should be up there I would put Bancaro up at number two though and then put Franz at keep Franz at three and move Cunningham to four um I like Cunningham and everything. We just got to see if he stays healthy. We got to see if he can even work with... I mean, there's going to be growing pains in Detroit. New coach. A lot of new players. Uh, he was hurt almost all of last season. So he's got to get shake the rust off and everything. So I think there's a lot of moving pieces there that we still have to figure out and see if it's going to really work out for him to even break out. So... I think there's just a lot of moving parts there that, that could affect that. And then we got who is the best point guard in the NBA. Steph Curry at 63% of the vote. He was 72% last year. Then Luka at 27, Gilgis Alexander at 7, and then Damian Lillard at 3. I like the fact that Gilgis Alexander is getting the the votes like that. I mean, he's at least getting the recognition I think the FIBA World Cup helped him get some more recognition as well because of him, like, leading another team to something they haven't done, uh, getting that bronze. So I think that, you know, that's great. Steph Curry, yeah. Yeah. He is the best point guard in the league. Who's the best shooting guard in the NBA? Number one is Devin Booker at 63% of the vote. Last year, Devin Booker was the top vote-getter at 45 Number two is Steph Curry, so... (laughs) (laughs) they have him as the best point guard and the second best shooting guard Luka tied for third with Anthony Edwards and Shea Gilligis Alexander with 7% of the vote and Butler and Tatum also receiving some votes there best small forward Tatum is the top vote getter with Kevin Durant, then Doncic, then LeBron, then Kawhi last year Kevin Durant was the top vote getter there Best power forward in the NBA, Giannis, with 97% of the vote, and Kevin Durant with the other three. No one else received any votes there. Um, Damn, that's crazy. Best center in the NBA, Jokic, 93% of the vote. I like how they didn't even show the other percentages, but the other two that received votes were Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid. Uh, Last year, Jokic was the top vote-getter at 79%. So, I will say that, I mean, a lot of these answers are pretty repetitive, but it makes sense, especially when you look at things like on Bovada, Jokic, Doncic, Embiid, Giannis, Tatum, are the first five with the highest odds to get an all-NBA first-team nod. Those are a lot of the guys you're seeing on these lists and it's not like anything surprising <laughs> so I, you know it, it is what it is uh with that being said the next section here for the gm survey was offseason moves which team made the best overall moves this off-season? tied for first was the celtics and the bucks I don't think there's really any other answer to that. The Celtics get Drew Holiday. They get Chris Porzingis. They still keep Tatum and Brown and Derek White. I don't think there's any other answers other than that and then getting Damian Lillard. The Trailblazers are there uh, in third with 17% of the vote because they did... I think they did maximize the return for Damian Lillard that they could have rather than, you know, forcing that trade with the Heat and then having to do something with Tyler Hero if that's who they got. And the draft capital from Miami wasn't going to be amazing because Pat Riley wasn't about to add all sorts of picks when he knew that this team was getting older and older. So I think they maximized as much as they could and ended up being a, a solid offseason for them. The Lakers are in fourth with 13% of the vote and then tied for fifth were the Mavericks and the Rockets with 7%. Others receiving some votes were the Pacers, Thunder, and Suns. I mean, I don't exactly... The Thunder really didn't make that many off season moves. I mean, they got a couple guys back. They made a couple draft picks maybe they're just saying cuz they didn't do much. I don't really know there, but the Pacers offseason moves, they did a little bit here and there. They got like Obi Toppin, they got they drafted Jarec Walker. They they got some decent people. They're still waiting to see what happens with Buddy Hield, so maybe they do upgrade from there, but you know, they, they were all right. Phoenix Suns, I'm surprised. Pretty surprised that they weren't in the top 5. I mean, they did bring in Bradley Beal to add to Durant and Booker. They brought in Nurkic, and then they added a bunch of different role players. I'm very surprised that they're not up there in the top, but... uh, I don't know. I think... um, I think they do deserve to be a lot higher than that. Just like on the others receiving votes. Because, look, for betting odds, they're plus 650 to win the finals. That's the fourth best odds in the league. That's above the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Mavericks, the Grizzlies. The Heat, the Sixers, the Cavs, the Knicks, the Kings, those are all good teams. The only teams that they're behind are the Bucks, Celtics, and Nuggets. And I agree that the Bucks and Celtics are probably up there with like the best offseason. But like on Bovada, they're at plus 650, which are solid odds to win the finals. Those are very solid odds. And just to say that they're not up in the top five of off-season moves. Doesn't make much sense to me. But whatever the GMs say. Which one player acquisition will make the biggest impact? I think everyone can guess that. Damian Lillard was the highest vote-getter, 47%. Then it was Drew Holiday at 13, Bradley Beal 10, Porzingis at 7, Van Vliet at 7, Victor Wembenyama at 7, and then others receiving votes, Dylan Brooks, Yusuf Nurkic, and Marcus Smart. I think we all could have guessed it was Damian Lillard there. What was the most underrated player acquisition? The number one vote getter being Marcus Smart by a tiny margin. 17% of the vote said Marcus Smart. 14% of the vote said Grant Williams. And then tied for third is five different players there. We got Dylan Brooks going to Houston. Bruce Brown going to Indiana. Yusuf Nurkic going to Phoenix. Max Struess going to Cleveland. And Fred Van Vliet going to Houston. Yeah. Those are all very solid moves that we're not really talking about because we're all obsessed with the Drew Holidays, the Porzingis's, the Damian Lillards, the Jordan Pools. We're all obsessed with those kind of moves because they're bigger names, obviously. But I would probably put the Bruce Brown um the Bruce Brown move a little higher. I probably put him second to be honest. I think Marcus Smart is a very underrated player acquisition for Memphis. And then I put Bruce Brown and then the rest. Fred VanVleet probably third and then Grant Williams fourth. I like Grant Williams a lot. I like the move to go to Dallas too, but I think the other ones are just a little bit better. Others receiving votes for those listening. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have DeAndre Ayton, Miles Bridges. Come on now. Who put Miles Bridges here? Yo. If that's the Charlotte GM, (laughs) you need to chill. Uh, Drew Holiday, I wouldn't say that's underrated. That's very accurately rated as a very good acquisition so I don't know why that's in the underrated part Tyus Jones I think is a very very underrated move Jordan Poole another good one Porzingis look Holiday Porzingis Poole like those ones are are very accurately rated I don't think those are underrated at all Dennis Schroeder a decent one Obi Toppin kind of underrated the Sasha Vizenkov, underrated move like that a lot. Gabe Vincent going to the Lakers, also underrated move. Also like that a lot. Uh, got some comments. Tyler here says, "Am I late?" Um, we've been going a little bit here, Tyler. Been uh, discussing a bit. We this one is probably going to be a little bit quicker of an episode since it's just me this week, uh. So I'm not kind of just talking to myself here. He says, "I agree with Smart at one." Yes, I I also agree. Smart at the number one underrated player acquisition. I definitely agree with that one. So moving on to which team will be most improved in 2023-2024? Looks like the GMs agree with me. Oklahoma City Thunder is the top vote-getter at 30%. Then the Rockets at 23 The Mavericks, Pistons, and Magic all tied at 10% of the vote. Also getting votes is the Warriors, Pacers, Lakers, Pelicans, and Jazz. Last year, Clippers got 41% of the vote. And this is after, I remember this survey... Having a lot of things with the Clippers for like three seasons in a row. And none of those ever panned out. Ever panned out. So, finally, they're not even bringing the Clippers up at all. (laughs) But I agree, though. I think the Thunder are definitely going to be the most improved. You bring Chet in along with the improving core of the Thunder already. Yeah, come on now. Come on. Uh, Rockets, they, the Rockets pretty much have to be improved. They were so bad. And then you bring in VanVleet and Brooks and a couple other role players on top of, uh, you bring in Amen Thompson, and then, you know, your younger guys are getting a little bit better. Maybe Jalen Green improves a little bit, and boom, the team is like a playing team. So they have to be up there. So I agree with that too. Mavericks, I mean, I guess. I just don't, I don't know. Mavericks, I just don't have the trust in. Tyler here says, why Warriors? That's a good question. They're like, everyone knows they're a good team. I mean, maybe they get a little bit higher of a seed just because of like the addition of Chris Paul and things like that, but, and then maybe Kaminga, which I'm actually surprised Kaminga wasn't even brought up in the breakout season one, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't see why they would be in the most improved either. I mean, Lakers, I can see because they were pretty bad up until like the last like quarter to third of the season. Uh, Pelicans, I hope so. I hope Zion finally stays healthy. I hope so. I really do. But that's a remaining to be seen. What was the most surprising move of the offseason? I think everyone can know that everyone knows the answer to that one. The Holiday Lillard trade, 43% of the vote. Smart Przingis was after that with 20%. Chris Paul to Golden State, 17 And then Bradley Beal to Phoenix and Bruce Brown to Indiana were 7%. They're tied at fourth. I feel as though the Bradley Beal one should be a little bit more surprising than that. I'm surprised... I'm surprised that they're not surprised about the Bradley Beal move to Phoenix because a lot of the rumors were like Beal to Boston, Beal to Philly, Beal to here, Beal to there. But Phoenix didn't start heating up until like right about when the trade actually happened, if I remember correctly. So I feel like that should be a little bit more surprising. Um, I mean, sure, Chris Paul's a little to Golden State is kind of surprising because you're like, why would they need another guard? But I don't know. I'm still more surprised that they actually teamed up Bradley Beal with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. And we're about to see Bradley Beal play the offense that we've seen him play before against like second, third string defenders. Not third string, but like not the best defender of the other team. He has always been the go to guy except for, like, maybe a couple seasons when John Wall was in his prime before he got hurt, and has always had to take on the number one defensive option of the other team and put 30 points a game on their head. Now you're telling me he's about to get the the lesser of the defensive options? Yeah. I mean, he's... Bradley Beal's going to cook. It, it's just... If you give him the ball, give him the room against... Any other defender that's not the best defender, he's going to cook. It's not rocket science. Any one of the guys on the team, if you just give them the ball, they'll probably cook. So moving on to rookies and international. Who will win rookie of the year? We all know who they voted for. Wembenyama gets 50% of the vote. Scoot Henderson gets 27 Chet Holmgren gets 20%. Vizenkov gets 3% of the vote. I'm actually a little surprised that Bancaro was much more of the unanimous pick than Wembenyama because so many people are so high on Wembenyama that, like, it seems it seems as though there's really no competition unless he gets hurt. That's how it seems right now. Obviously we need to see some, some people play some games. But right now it seems like Rookie of the Year. People haven't people have Wambanyama for Rookie of the Year, all defense, all NBA. Like they have him up for every award. And I mean, I can even look at um whether it be rankings or whether it be odds like if i look at bovada right now i see wembanyama on defensive player of the year at plus 1500 mvp at plus 15000 all defensive first team at plus 900 All NBA first team at plus 2,500. All rookie first team at minus 1,200. Rookie of the year at even odds. That's six different awards that he has, that he's up there in odds, which is, to me, insane. That's just insane, especially for a rookie. Insane. Um, let's see. Tyler's commenting here is having too many star players, a problem though. So would Beal still be wizards type of Beal? So I think the main difference here between Beal being on Phoenix and Beal being on the wizards is that he doesn't have to be as much of a playmaker. He can go back to being more of the shooter scorer type of player like he kind of was with John Wall. And because when it was like Wizards, like peak Wizards Beal, when nobody else was on the team, he was in charge of uh, the dish distribution as well as scoring. So like, which is so the 2019-2020 season, um, he only played in 57 games there, but averaged 30 and a half points a game and 6.1 assists a game, along with 1.2 steals and 4.2 rebounds. He had to do everything because he was the team. Even the next year, he put up 31.3 points a game, and I believe it was on like ridiculous usage numbers. Um, Yeah, 2019-2020, his usage was 34.4. 2020-2021, his usage was 34.1. So he was the team. I don't think his numbers are going to be there because he's going to need the ball that much to do that. However, if you look at two of his other all-star seasons, the 18, 19 and 17, 18 season played all 82 games, averaged about 36 minutes a game, put up 22.6 and 25.6 points per game, five rebounds, five and a half assists, one and a half steals, shot around 47% from the floor and 37% from 3. I think you could I think he could get those numbers. And if you're telling me he's getting 25 5, five and over a steal a game. Yeah, that's pretty damn good. I definitely think Beal can hit those type of numbers especially because again, the defense isn't solely worried about him they're worried about kevin durant they're worried about devin booker he's gonna get more open looks and then you let him go one-on-one at times he'll be fine i mean we also beal is a hell of a three-point shooter i mean his he's a career 37.2 percent shooter on 5.9 attempts a game He's had three seasons at 40% or more. Uh, His worst season being a couple seasons ago, he shot only 30%. But I mean, again, the last, I'd say like two to three seasons with the Wizards, the Wizards were just so bad and they were just so out of the race of everything that it just didn't seem like Beal gave a shit anymore. So I think with this team, he's locking in a lot more. He's getting back to the the shooting ability that he has, and he's playing a hell of a lot better. That's just how I see it. Um, but with the GM survey, which rookie will be the best player in five years? 90% say Wimbenyama. The other people receiving votes were Scoot, Chet, and Amen Thompson. So, um, yeah, Amen didn't get any votes for Rookie of the Year, but got some votes for best player in five years. Which rookie was the biggest steal at where he was selected in the draft? That's another pretty easy one to predict who they voted for. Obviously, number one being Cam Whitmore at the 20th pick to Houston. He got 43% of the vote. Then the others were Keontae George at 16, Scoot Henderson at number three, and uh, Jaquez Jr. I probably butcher that, but at 18 to Miami, and then Brandon Podziemski at 19 for Golden State. Others receiving votes were Amani Bates at the 49th pick, Leonard Miller at the 33rd, Marcus Sasser at the 25th, Sensabaugh at the 28th, Oscar Thompson at 5th, and Jordan Walsh at 38th. Last year, the top two vote-getters were Jalen Duran and Tari Eason. Who's the best international player in the NBA? Jokic at 1, Doncic at 2, Giannis at 3, Joel Embiid at 4. Who's the best international player not in the NBA? A familiar name, Nikola Mirotic, 37% of the vote. Then you got Edie Tavares at 27, Alex Saar at 13, Zanin Musa at 10, and Willie Hernan Gomez at 7. Yeah, these are guys, I mean, a couple of these guys have been in the NBA. They're just not playing there anymore. So it, it makes sense. Defense, who's the best defensive player in the NBA? Giannis is what they voted. (sighs) I don't see him as the best defensive player in the NBA. I don't. I think he's very good. I think he's up there. I think he's top five. I don't think he's the best defensive player in the NBA. I think if you forced him to anchor the entire defense by himself, well, I shouldn't say by himself, but anchor a defense... He's not the best defensive player in the NBA. You still have Brooke Lopez as your actual rim protector. You had Drew Holiday as one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. But somehow Giannis gets all the credit for it. Don't get me wrong. Like I said, he's a very, very good defensive player. But why are we putting him so far above... The two guys that helped him the most when it came to defense. Brooke Lopez had a great defensive year the past couple seasons, especially as a rim protector. Drew Holiday is at number two in this, which he deserves to be, with 13% of the vote. Then you got Draymond, at, uh, Draymond and Marcus Smart tied for third at 10%. Then Jaron Jackson and Kawhi Leonard tied for fourth at 7%. Others receiving votes, Alex Caruso, Anthony Davis, Lou Dort, and Rudy Gobert. Tyler says... In all caps, yo, where's Embiid? I agree. I I think that everyone just based it off of Embiid. Some of Embiid's uh, deficiencies from last season, because I think we saw him just be a little bit lazier on defense at times because he was kind of just saving his energy instead of like diving on the ball, uh, diving on the floor for for loose balls and things like that, like we've seen him do in years pre uh, prior and when people went up to dunk, sometimes he just didn't go up for it because he knew he could get a bucket at the other end. But Joel Embiid 1,000% deserves to be up here. I mean, it, to not even get a vote is just insanity to me. It, it makes, honestly, no sense at all, especially if we look at the fact on Bovada, Joel Embiid's at plus 2,000 odds, which is top 10. With Brook Lopez. Which who I just talked about. If we have another guy up there in the top 10 of odds. To win defensive player of the year. But we're not even shouting him out. In this whole situation. Is crazy to me. Crazy to me. But above him. For odds at least. You got like Claxton. You got Wembenyamas up there. Bam out of bio. Evan Mobley. And none of those guys are even on this. But hey, best perimeter defender in the NBA, Drew Holiday, 50% of the vote. Makes sense. It's actually surprising to me, though, that Marcus Smart dropped that much when he was just Defensive Player of the Year. But, you know, whatever. Uh, Mikhail Bridges at number two. He has 13% of the vote. Caruso and Marcus Smart tied with 10%. Then Kawhi Leonard with 7%. Others receiving votes are Butler, Lou Dort, and Jason Tatum. Best perimeter defender in the NBA, Jason Tatum? That that had to be the Celtics, GM, or whoever this is. Come on now. Best interior defender in the NBA, Jaron Jackson Jr. gets the most at 30%. Then Rudy Gobert, then Brooke Lopez, then Anthony Davis, then Draymond Green, then Giannis, then Evan Mobley. So you're telling me, hold on, hold on. (laughs) Giannis doesn't even get top five for perimeter or interior, yet he's the number one best defender? But again, not top five, perimeter or interior. And his his teammates, Drew Holiday, number one best perimeter. Brooke Lopez tied for second best interior. i I like, make it make sense. Tyler here says, what are these GMs smoking? That's what I'm, like, this, the math ain't mathing. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> it makes legitimately zero sense. Oh, man. Who's the most versatile defender? Then it's Giannis. <sighs> Yo, I, I can't. I, I just can't. We're just scrolling past it. Who's the best defensive team in the NBA? Boston Celtics get the uh, most votes at 47%. Then the Grizzlies at 17, Bucks at 13, Heat at 10, Cavs at 7. Others receiving votes, Brooklyn and the Lakers. Hmm, Brooklyn getting a vote is pretty interesting, seeing as they're not a great team. But, you know, Lakers getting the best defensive team also Interesting. Mm, yeah, okay. Sure. We'll go with that. Who's the best head coach in the NBA? 73% of the vote, Eric Spolstra. 10% go to Ty Lu. 7% tied is Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich. 3% Michael Malone. Yeah, I mean, Spo has proven time and time again that he can take a team to... The championship, just in general, and not just that, but taking to the championship when they really have no business being there, like last year. So I think you got to put Spo up at the top right now. Popovich is always going to be one of the greatest that has ever graced the game, but he just hasn't had anywhere close to any type of roster. Very excited to see him with Wembenyama and these younger guys. See how they do there. Steve Kerr definitely deserves to be up there. Tyloo, I probably have him down at five, but you know, still solid coach which head coach is the best manager slash motivator of people Spolstra getting the most votes at 37 percent then steve kurt 23 percent ty lou 17 popovich at 13 also receiving votes mark i always mess up his last name Dagnalt from oklahoma city jamal mosley from orlando and Monty williams from detroit which coach makes the best in-game adjustments Spolstra at first again then Ty Lue at second with 30 percent of the vote. Then tied for third is Rick Carlisle at 7 percent, and Nick Nurse, the new Sixers head coach, at 7 percent as well. Others receiving votes: Mark Dagonal, Steve Kerr, Craig Popovich, and Quinn Snyder. Last year the top vote getter was Ty Lue at 55, and now it's Bolster. Which head coach run? Which head coach runs the best offense? Mike Brown for Sacramento. Any other answer would have been wrong. Flat out, would have been wrong. I think that's a great uh, a great answer for number one. There, number two is Steve Kerr. Number three, Mike Malone. Number four, Chris Finch. Wrong. That's wrong. Rick Carlisle five. Chris Finch wrong. Rick Carlisle yes. Tyler says Tyloo at two. Yeah, I think you got to put Tyloo up there because of the fact that he keeps making the Clippers at least relevant, despite the fact that Kawhi and Paul George just kind of never play. So he is doing a very good job. I probably wouldn't put him at number two, but I definitely think he deserves to be top four. I would definitely put him top four. Um and then we're I think we're getting towards the end here. I don't even know. Uh, Which head coach has the best defensive scheme? Spolstra up at number one again. Then you got Taylor Jenkins for Memphis, Tom Thibodeau for New York, J.B. Bickerstaff for Cleveland, Lou again for the Clippers, and Vogel for Phoenix. Which new or relocated head coach will make the biggest impact on his new team? Ime Udoka getting the most votes with 57%. Uh, Monty Williams at 17% is number two. Then Frank Vogel. Then Adrian Griffin for Milwaukee. And then Darko Radjakovic for Toronto. It's funny to me. Now, I'm not trying to bring it up just because it's the Sixers and everything. But if I scroll back up, Nick Nurse, the head coach that makes the best in-game adjustments. Newer relocated head coach will make the biggest impact. Nick Nurse didn't even get a single vote interesting to me i'm just gonna leave it at that interesting to me last year darvin ham got the most votes which i i mean you can take that or leave that i don't really know about that but yeah you know best assistant coach of the nba jordy fernandez for sacramento gets 31 of the vote terry stotts is number two tied for two with kevin young from phoenix sam cassell and charles lee tied for fourth both boston assistant coaches at 7% of the vote. Sam Cassell is going to get his head coaching opportunity at some point. He needs to. He really does. David Adelman, Kenny Atkinson, Chris DeMarco, Darren Ehrman, David Fisdale, Royale Ivy, Alex Jensen, Chris Quinn, Jay Triano, and Will Weaver all getting votes as well. Which active player will make the best head coach someday? Chris Paul. I'm pretty sure Chris Paul has been number one for this for a very long time. Then you got Mike Conley, Garrett Temple, TJ McConnell. Drew Holiday, and Fred Van Vliet. I think those are all very good options. Also receiving votes, Jose Alvarado, Desmond Bain, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Halliburton. Nikola Jokic, I don't think would make a good head coach. The way that he talks about, like, just wanting to go spend time with his horses and his family, that man don't want to coach. He's not going to coach. When he's done with the NBA, he is disappearing off the face of the earth, going and chilling with the horses, his family, and everything jokic to me is kind of like ben roethlisberger in the fact that they don't care about the media they don't care about the fame they don't care about anything they loved the sport they played they love their family so the moment they're done with their sport they're gonna go be with their family and do that stuff and stay out of all the media spotlights that's all they do uh all right last few ones here miscellaneous which team is the most fun to watch denver nuggets get first With 30% of the vote, then the Warriors with 23, the Kings with 20, the Suns with 7. Others receiving votes, Celtics, Pacers, Lakers, Bucks, Pelicans, Thunder. Not surprised that teams like the Knicks, Sixers, and Nets are not on here. Because if you're not a fan of one of those teams, they're really not that fun to watch. Especially last year with the Sixers, just watching James Harden dribble the air out of the ball. And then Joel Embiid do the same. And then once they got off the court, then the ball started moving. Like, yeah, that was cool, but yeah. If you're not fans of those teams, then they're not going to be up there. Which team is the best home court advantage? Nuggets, 37% of vote at first. Warriors, then the Kings, then the Jazz, then tied for fifth is the Celtics, Knicks, Raptors, then eighth, the Sixers. I mean, almost the entire... Atlantic Division is up there for best home court advantage. The only one that isn't is the Nets. So shout out the Atlantic Division. Uh, Which team will have the league's most efficient offense this season? Denver Nuggets win that again. Not surprised. Which team's level of success this season is toughest to predict? There's something the Sixers win. (laughs) 30% of the vote goes to the Sixers for which team's level of success this season is toughest to predict? Which is... Very accurate. It's very accurate because we have no clue what the hell's going on with James Harden. No clue what's going on outside of that. So Who the hell knows? Uh, Oklahoma City wins which team is the most promising young core. John Morant gets which player is most athletic. Steph Curry gets which player is the best pure shooter. De'Aaron Fox wins which player is fastest with the ball. Moving without the ball, Steph Curry. Best passer, Jokic. Best leader, LeBron James. Most versatile player in the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Is he the most versatile when he's not that great of a shooter? Does that make you versatile? Just asking. That one's just up there. That's that's out there to the atmosphere. Just want to know. That's all. Just want to know. Which player is the best basketball IQ? Jokic. I still would probably put LeBron as best IQ, to be honest. Which player would you want taking a shot at the game on the line? 37% Steph Curry. Yeah, I agree. Which change in season tournament, rest rules, something from the new CBA, etc. will require the biggest adjustment? The most votes, 37%, is the player participation policy. Which I think is technically the rest rules. Um, number two is the tax apron restrictions with 33% of the vote that will get muddy. Definitely will get muddy in season tournament is third with 13%. Then tied for fourth is the 65 game award rule at 7% and flopping Texas 7%. And then six <laughs> is the extra coaches challenge. I'm very curious to see all of these new rules in action. I think they all equate to pretty good things for the NBA and I'm excited to see it, but I believe that is it here for me, guys. I appreciate all of you tuning in. I appreciate everybody. Thank you, Tyler, for joining. Thank you, Mario, for t- joining. Thank you, uh, your name was Hannah from Hannah690 from uh, Twitch. Thank you for joining as well. We appreciate that. If you're watching on YouTube or Twitch or whatever, we appreciate the follow, subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. It lets you know when we go live, and we do that at least once a week. Maybe more if we start deciding to, you know, if we start getting some more people in here and, uh, and the people want some more shows. But until then, probably once a week. Also, you can get us everywhere. Get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Google, all of those things. Please rate, review, subscribe. Helps us out greatly. Help us out the algorithms, things like that. And we're all on, on all the social medias as well. Thank you, everybody, for watching. And I will catch you guys next week. Peace.